We're going to be in Colossians on page uh, 984. There is a black pew Bible um, in front of you if you need that. Starting in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a, a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Starting in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that are perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Delta. How are you guys doing today? Good, good, good. It's basically fall time outside, right? Like last week it was like 90 and like last night it was like in the upper 40s, so that's good. My wife's very happy for that. I'm a little bummed, right? I enjoy, I enjoy summer. So um, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to continue by turning our attention to the next section in Paul's letter to Colossians. We've been working through this letter now for several weeks, and this week we find ourselves studying Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. I mean, if you notice, when Rachel was reading our section of Scripture this morning, um, Paul is finally getting down to brass tacks. He's, he's coming to the place where he's going to start addressing and identifying the false teaching that was going on in Colossae, in the city where these Christians were living. So most of us can think of a time when someone was disqualified, whether we were at a sporting event, um, watching um, two people, maybe box, or maybe you're at a sporting event and you're watching somebody run track or run the 100-meter dash, or maybe they were doing the long jump, and what happened was as they were doing and participating in the sporting event, um, they broke a rule. Um, they didn't adhere to a regulation that was supposed to take place inside that, that event. And what happened was the official, the umpire, had to come in and disqualify this person. So maybe you're watching a boxing match. And one of the rules is there's only certain areas that you can hit in the body, right? And so if you hit below the belt, if you've ever heard that phrase, um, the official um, can actually disqualify that person. They can ring them up. They did not adhere to a rule. They did not adhere to a regulation. And so if they keep doing that, that can lead to their disqualification. I love track and field. But one of the things you have to do is listen to, adhere to the rules and the regulations that take place. So if you're a long jumper, you just can't run and jump whenever you feel like it. There's a certain line. And what you have to do is run and jump before you hit that line. If you touch that line and jump, the, the umpire, the official, will disqualify you. You can't just do what you want to do. And so some of us have seen these things take place before. No, no matter the situation, whether you're a boxer, whether you're running track and field, with these athletes, whenever they break a rule, it's an official's job to disqualify them for doing so. 
And when we turn to our scripture this morning in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, what we're we're seeing is a lot of language that at first just sort of feels a little bizarre, right? Paul's talking about things like abstaining from food and drink, um, worshiping at festivals, new moons and Sabbaths. We hear this word asceticism or like, I don't really know what what that means. We hear things like worshiping of angels, going on in about visions, doing things to, to abuse, maybe even hurt our body, setting up rules like you're not supposed to touch certain things, you're not supposed to handle certain things, you're not supposed to take certain things. And we, we hear these things and we read them and we go, okay, I'm not really quite sure what Paul's driving at, but, but when we boil down what's going on is this, is that Paul is rightly identifying for really the first time in pretty plain language what is going on in Colossae. These false teachers were acting like umpires. They were acting like officials. They were looking at these Colossian believers, and what they were doing is, is that they were telling them, because you are not living like we think you should live, we are saying you are disqualified from the Christian race. You're not running well. You're not running in a way that is right. Why? Because you're not doing what we are saying you should be doing. And so what they were doing was they were passing judgment on these Colossian believers. They were saying that you are disqualified and they are seeking to enslave them by getting them to adhere to rules moving beyond Jesus Christ. In a nutshell, these false teachers were arguing for the Colossian believers to be captivated by things additional to Christ teaching that their hope of maturing in Christ and their ability to fight sin would come from listening to these extra rules. So Paul, with very strong language this morning, is going to come out and just flat out says, this is just not true. He's just going to straight up deny these extra rules that they were trying to place into the laps of these believers. He's going to say that these false teachers, this philosophy, this way of thinking that they're trying to push into your laps, in essence, it is deceitful, and in reality, it has no power in being able to help you mature in Christ, and there is no power, no value in this philosophy in helping you to be able to fight sin, to grow in a way that is honoring and fully pleasing to Jesus Christ. So in light of the situation... When we step back and start to try to think, okay, so what is verse 16 through 23? What do these mean to me? I think what we can do is we can ask ourselves this question. So how exactly do we grow as disciples? Because really what Paul's driving at here in this section of Scripture, what he's really doing is saying, listen, these people are walking into your world. They're looking at you and saying, I see how you're trying to mature in Christ, and I'm telling you that's not how you do it. And Paul's looking at this false teaching and saying, they're leading you astray. We are to mature in Christ. We are to grow as disciples. But what they're doing is they're leading you ultimately away from Jesus. Your hope of growth in Christ, of maturing in Christ, of being able to fight sin and walk in a way that is pleasing to Christ, fully rests alone in Jesus Christ. So how exactly do we grow as disciples? How do we mature in the fullness that we have in Christ? How do we mature in the life that we have in Christ, the freedom that we have in Christ? How do we actually fight sin and stop the indulgence of the flesh, Paul says in verse 23? Well, according to Paul, it certainly was not by the puny Christless substitutes 
that so often promote themselves as the path to fullness, life, and freedom. Rather, Paul says, it is through the all-sufficient Jesus Christ. This is Paul's point here as he seems to come up and hit a crescendo in verses 16 through 23. Paul is saying this, I want your mind and I want your heart to be captivated by Jesus Christ. We unpacked that last week. He says, because Jesus is supreme, because Jesus alone is worthy of your heart and mind being captivated by him, this is what I want you to do. You have fullness in Jesus, you have life in Jesus, you have freedom in Jesus. Let your mind and your heart be captivated by him. Paul turns in these verses this morning and says, now let me tell you why that should be. Yes, I want your mind and your heart to be captivated by Jesus Christ alone. Why? Because this leads us to the place where we mature in Christ and fight sin. I think Paul's boiling it down to this main idea. To have minds and hearts captivated by Christ is the means by which a believer matures in Christ and fights sin. Minds captivated by Christ will then lead to hearts that are captivated by Christ. And out of this mind, knowing Jesus, affecting the heart will give us new passions, new affections to walk in a way that is fully pleasing to the Lord, maturing in Jesus Christ, rooted in Jesus Christ, fighting sin, rooted in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have a heart that has passions and new affections for Jesus Christ, rooted in a true and right knowledge of who he is so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to walk through the text verses 16 to 23 as it is related to the colossian believers and then what we'll do is we'll step back and we're going to apply this scripture as it relates to us okay so in order to do that i want you to remember these three things as we walk through the text this morning paul is going to say a couple things first he's going to say let no one pass judgment on you Second, he's going to say, let no one disqualify you. And the third thing he's going to say is, let no one enslave you. Let no one pass judgment. Let no one disqualify. Let no one enslave you. So take your Bible. Take your copy of Scripture. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 16 and 17. Paul says this, let no one pass judgment on you. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Verse 17, these things are a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So when you see that first word there in verse 16, that word therefore... What Paul is doing is he's reaching back and saying, do you remember everything I just said in verses 8 through 15? Where I held up this message, this main point, this idea, be captivated by Jesus Christ alone, in mind and in heart. That is the way that we are called to live as believers. What Paul is doing is connecting the theology of verses 8 through 15 to the fullness that we have in Christ. He's connecting it and he's encouraging us to resist the teachers that were coming in and saying, you can actually have fullness in life and other things beyond Jesus. Because it is in Christ alone that you and I have spiritual fullness, 
Paul is saying, do not let anyone impose upon you a program of spiritual maturity, of spiritual development that does not have Christ at its center. See, the Colossians had heard and received by grace the gospel of grace. They had turned from self-reliance and prideful self-justification to rest wholly in the all-sufficiency of what God had done for them in Jesus Christ alone. Therefore, Paul calls to them and says, let no one pass judgment on you in regard to food, drink, and the observance of these special religious days. Why? Because these things are actually a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul was teaching that it was wrong for anyone to pass judgment on someone else over these matters, concerning these matters, because these matters are only the shadow of the reality that Christians now find fully displayed in Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, why would you want to go back to these things? Their sole purpose was to say, hey, I'm not the point. I'm not the end. I'm just a means pointing forward to Jesus Christ. These false teachers are coming along and saying, no, what you need to do is just concentrate on these things. And Paul says, why would you, why would you allow them to pass judgment on you? You have the substance of Jesus Christ himself. You have the very end of which these things are pointing forward to. Don't go back to them. Cling to Jesus Christ. Everything they symbolize, this idea of abstaining from food and drink, regarding certain festivals, special religious holidays, new moon, Sabbath, these sorts of things, all of these things symbolize something. They, they foreshadowed something. They were designed to teach and accomplish certain things, but these things have now come to full and final fruition in Jesus Christ. So Paul comes along and says to them, listen, let no one pass judgment on you. Instead, cling to the substance himself, Jesus Christ. So not only are we to let no one pass judgment on you, Paul says to the Colossians, in regard to these matters that these false teachers are teaching you, the second thing he says is this. Let no one disqualify you. Look in your copy of Scripture. You'll see this in verse 18 and verse 19. Paul writes, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Don't let them disqualify you in going on in detail about visions. Don't let them disqualify you. Yes, they insist on these things, but ultimately what they are is they are puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. Really what's going on is they've loosened their grip on the head. They're not holding fast to Jesus. It's in Jesus whom the whole body, the church, is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. It's through Jesus, the head. That is how Christians, that is how individuals, that is how churches grow with a growth that is from God. So once again, Paul picks up the language of disqualification, and it's the language of the world of athletics. It's the language of umpires. It's the language of officials. Umpires and officials will disqualify an athlete for not following the rules. And these false teachers in Colossae were calling foul on the Colossian believers because they were not following their philosophy that they were pointing and putting into the laps of the Colossian believers. So you can understand how hearing these things would really trip these believers up, right? They had heard and believed the gospel that was taught to them by a man named Epaphras. 
It was the same gospel that was preached by the Apostle Paul. After all, they were being taught that it was God the Father who had qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints. But now these teachers were coming into the Christian church in the city of Colossae and they were arguing that their gospel-centered, Christ-focused Christianity was actually just completely unlawful. And so you can see how they might start to think like, man, like, are these guys true? Was Epaphras just selling me a bill of goods? Is the Apostle Paul and the, and the gospel that he, he teaches to us, is it really just a load of baloney? I, who's right here and who's wrong? Maybe I should start doing these extra things that these teachers are, are telling me. Maybe I do need to start adhering to what they're saying. I, I don't want to be disqualified in this Christian race that I'm running. Is there veracity to the accusations that are making against us? Paul says, no, there is no veracity. For this reason, Paul warns them, listen, let let no one disqualify you. They are not legit officials. They're using an errant set of rules by which to judge you. Let no one disqualify you, Paul says. It does not matter how much they insist on asceticism. Asceticism, funky word, we really don't use that a lot. The idea of asceticism is an ideology. It's a way of thinking where what we use is severe self-discipline as a form of false humility. The person who believed and adhered to this way of thinking called asceticism said this, the more that I can hurt my body, the more that I can be more severe to my body, the more that I can abstain from food and drink, the more that I can heap up these rules like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, the more I can do that, it will show you how spiritual I really am. And by the way, I really want you to know how spiritual I really am. The idea of asceticism was this. I'm going to make sure that I show the world how little of the material world I actually need, causing great suffering and severe self-discipline so that the world can look on me and go, man, look how spiritual that guy is. Look how holy he is. Look at all those extra rules he's doing. I mean, like I'm over here, but he's got like 10, 20, 30 extra rules above me. He must be super spiritual. That's the idea behind asceticism. Paul's saying it doesn't matter how much they insist on this way of thinking. Ultimately, what they're doing is they're doing this for the approval of man. If you remember in the Sermon on the Mount series, Jesus addressed this issue himself. He says, listen, I want you to be a people who give, but don't give in order that you may be seen by other men. Don't fast so that you may be seen by other men. Don't pray in such a way on the street corner where it's, oh Lord, art thou greatest. And you can start talking like King King James, Victorian English. You know, it's like, why are you talking like that? You never talk like that anywhere else. It's because you're doing it to be seen by other people. You want the approval of men. That's why you're using religious things to gain the approval of men with the hopes of going, God might grant me a little extra favor after all. Don't you see how holy I am? And Paul's saying, that's the mindset of these people. They're ascetics. They're thinking and operating in this way. Angel worship was a big deal for them. This was the pathway to fullness. Paul says it doesn't matter how much they ground their authority for this ascetic lifestyle, the worship of angels. Paul says they go on a detailed vision. So not only do they do these things, they show up in your world and go, I've seen visions and God has shown me and worship of angels is right and ascetic lifestyle, this is the way to go. And he's like, "Don't, don't do this. Don't listen to them in this way. In the end, they're really puffed up without reason by their sensuous minds, and they are found in the position of not holding fast to the head, Jesus Christ himself. Their fundamental problem 
was that they sought their spiritual strength and sustenance from something other than Jesus Christ. That was the beef with these teachers. Paul says, ultimately, when you boil down all this stuff that they're doing, when they should have with the spiritual arms of their faith, grasping and clinging to Christ and not holding on to these other things, what they were doing was letting go of Jesus Christ and clinging to all these other things. They have loosened their grip on the head, Jesus Christ himself, and they started grasping for all these other things. And Paul says, no go. The moment that you think you mature in your faith, grow to be more like Jesus, the moment you think, I do this by releasing my grip on Jesus Christ, you start to find yourself very quickly in a place where Jesus Christ is not. The body of Christ is the church, which is nourished and knit together in Him, Paul says. The way that the body of Christ, the church, is nourished and knit together in Him, growing with a growth, is this happens from God. Growing with a growth that is from God. Not listening to people's visions and details and ascetic lifestyle and don't eat and don't touch and worship religious days. Not that kind of stuff. If you want growth in Christ, if you want to grow in a way to where you're nourished, if you want to grow in a way that you're nourished and you and you and you and then we all come together and we are knit together as a body of people who are maturing in Christ, growing in a way where we're fighting sin and living like Jesus, it's not by loosening your grip on Christ. It's by clinging, clinging, clinging to Jesus Christ. That is how God grows his church. Knowledge of God, knowledge of Christ, clinging to him, hearts changed by this knowledge, then to where we do as we grow with a growth that is rooted and nourished and fertilized by God himself. Let no one disqualify you. Instead, remain vigilant and hold fast to Jesus Christ. Let no one pass judgment. Let no one disqualify you. Lastly, Paul says, in verses 20 through 23, let no one enslave you. Let no one enslave you. Look at that verse, those verses with me in your Bible. Paul continues on and he says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you are still alive in the world, why would you ever submit yourself to these regulations? Regulations like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Listen, referring to these things, these are things that are all going to perish as they are used. These things like don't touch, taste, handle, these things are all according to human precepts. They're according to human teaching. Yes, indeed, they they have an appearance of wisdom. This is what I love about Paul. Paul doesn't say, listen, buffoon, how how dare you be duped by these things? Look how stupid they are. He doesn't say that. He says, listen, on the surface, you look at them and you go, man, these things look legit. It looks like that if I were to want to grow and mature in Christ, I should be doing these things. Indeed, they have an outward appearance of wisdom. But in reality, the only thing they're wise for is this, promoting man-made religion, promoting an ascetic lifestyle, and promoting severity of the body. But here's what they have no power in doing. They have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, the one thing you're trying to actually get. 
You're trying to grow and mature in Jesus. It looks like these things, these false teachers are saying, are going to get the job done. But Paul says the one thing you want is the one thing you're not going to get. Actually growing and maturing like Jesus and being able to find yourself in the place where you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are actually putting sin to death. You're not going to find yourself in that place. So Paul calls the Colossian believers, do not be enslaved by this way of thinking. This way of thinking will lead you away from Jesus. That's why Paul just further unpacks this idea of asceticism, right? Remember, the person who practices asceticism, the body is, he says, the body is a thing to be punished, denied, abused. The body is regarded as evil, and the only way to defeat it is to starve it of anything that might spark desire in the heart. So these teachers invented a world of regulations. Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle But Paul says they're just based upon human commands and teachings. So Paul asks his friends, if this is true, these things are just human commands and teachings, why would you submit yourselves to be enslaved to these things? Some of your translations might say, if with Christ you died to the elemental principles of the world, just the basic rudimentary things of this life, why would you submit yourself to those things? Why would you allow yourself to be enslaved by them? You've died with Christ to these basic principles of the world. You've been buried with Christ in baptism, and your baptism into Christ's death means death to all of these things. Why would you want to submit yourself to them thinking you'll find life in this place? You're no longer alive to this world. All these rules, which are all destined to perish with use, are only good in promoting man-made religion. Indeed, they have the appearance of wisdom, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Rules, prohibitions, and self-denial that spring from man's own religious creativity are utterly ineffective in curbing the desires of the flesh. They in and of themselves, will not help you keep in check sinful urgings or energize you in the war with temptation. Paul's not completely dumping on the idea of being self-disciplined, okay? What he's saying is, if your only hope of maturing in Jesus and fighting sin merely only, the end is, I'm just going to heap up a lot of rules and put a lot of rules around me so that way I won't go off and sin in this way and I won't be tempted by sin over here and I won't misspeak because my heart is being led away from Jesus over here. Instead of actually addressing the heart issue, I'm going to try to kill sin by just a bunch of rules and laws and regulations and things like that. He says, you're, you're traveling the wrong path here. Merely... Rules and regulations will never lead us to the place where we address the issues of the heart that are being deceived after things not of Christ. That's not the way life works. So Paul says, let no one enslave you with Christless regulations. Instead, submit yourself to Jesus Christ alone. So the question then becomes this, right? He's done. And you're like, man, is that, is that it, Paul? <laughs> I mean, like, what are we driving at here? Hey, here's all these funky things that happen in Colossae that aren't really true for us. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm not not being tempted to go and worship at a new moon festival this week. Unless you are, maybe we need to have a conversation. Um, No one's coming to me going, listen, John, you really need to abstain from from fruit and drink because that's the way that you, you really love Jesus better. Like, no one's doing that in my life. The elders aren't sitting around discussing, you know what, we need to really crank up some worship of angels. 
here at Delta Church. Like, not, none of us are being tempted, tempted in that way. So the question becomes, like, so what does this mean to me? Like, I'm going to work tomorrow. What does angel worship and asceticism and all this kind of stuff, like, what does that mean for me on Monday morning? I think it means this. See, the problem with the false teachers in Colossae is that they were aiming too low. They were aiming too low. They were focusing on rules, making a big deal out of things that ultimately do not get the job done. And in the end, they completely missed the point. The change of mind and heart, which leads to true holiness, to true maturity in Christ, to the place where we truly are fighting sin by the Spirit in a way that makes much of Jesus, does not come about by mere obedience to rule-keeping. It only comes about when your mind and heart are captivated by Jesus Christ alone. See, these people wanted this. They didn't show up to the Colossians and go, you know what, this whole maturing in Jesus thing, don't do it. Not something to be strive. Don't, don't strive for this. Don't go after this. They said, do do this, but do it this way. And Paul says, yes, do this, but don't do it their, their way because their roadmap to maturity in Christ is going to lead you off into the shadow lands where you're just worshiping the shadow and the substance Christ himself isn't going to be there. If you want the roadmap toward mature, sin-killing, Christian living, you cling to Jesus Christ. It is taking yourself to the place where you're soaking and marinating in the Scriptures with a knowledge, learning, growing, knowing Jesus Christ so that knowledge leads to new affections of the heart. New affections of the heart lead to a lifestyle where we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. That's the way that it works. See, if you remember last week, we saw Paul teach us this. Believers are not to be taken captive by anything other than Christ. And after thinking through this in verses 8 through 15, we asked ourselves a series of questions. Do you guys remember this? I asked you four. In your life, what is trying to take you captive not according to Christ? Right? We made this assumption. None of us are neutral in this matter. All of us in some way constantly have something vying for our attention saying, mind, be captivated by me. Heart, be captivated by me. None of us just aimlessly walk through life just somehow drawing the conclusion, you know what, like, I, nothing really is trying to capture me in heart, heart and mind. We made the assumption there is something trying to do it. That's why Paul says, see to it, be on guard that you are only captivated in mind and in heart in this way, by Christ alone. So we ask the question, in your life, what is trying to take you captive not according to Christ? We ask this, what is presenting itself to you right now with the ability to make you fool apart from Christ? Or maybe it's this. What is presenting itself to you, telling you that if you just follow me, I will give you life? What is coming to you saying that you can experience true freedom, but only if you listen to me? See, last week was not an exercise in futility where I was just merely asking questions because I didn't know how else to wrap up the sermon. Right? Man, I've got to land this thing somehow. A series of questions will get him. Uh, that's, not, that's not the way it rolled. 
Like, that really matters how we answer those questions. Really, really matters. It really matters for us to think through these questions because the way in which we answer these questions will help us to begin to narrow down those things which seek to capture our minds and our hearts. See, one of the ways that we can find out what is capturing your mind and capturing your heart apart from Christ is to think through this fill-in-the-blank sentence, okay? Listen to this sentence. If only blank, then I would have blank. If only I could have blank, then I would be blank. If only I could have that job raise, then I'll have fullness. If only my wife would finally listen to me, then I will have freedom. If only my kids would obey, then I will have life. If only my spouse would honor me and respect me, then I will have freedom. If only I could get married, if only I could have relationships, if only I could get that job raised, if only I could make more money, if only I could get that other degree, if only my neighbor would stop mocking me, if only, if only, however you fill in that first blank, anything that is not the word Christ in that first blank, that is the thing vying for the attention of your mind and your heart saying, I want you to be captured by me. Because what we're saying is this, if only I could have that thing, that temptation, then I will have true freedom, then I will have true life, then I will have true fullness. But the only thing that is worthy of being in the first blank of that sentence is Jesus Christ himself. So when we start thinking through these questions, what we're doing now is we're starting to narrow down. We're peeling back the layers of the mind and the heart, getting to that place to go, oh no. I am being captivated by things other than Christ. See, how we fill in that blank, it matters. It will reveal to us what we are being captivated by. These things that captivate us other than Christ seem like they will have power in maturing us and giving aid to us in fighting our sin, but Paul speaks to the contrary, right? That's why they're so stinking deceitful, true? Because that thing comes along and goes, man, if you could just get that job, You'll make a little extra money. And when you make a little extra money, you can put a little extra into savings. And when you put a little extra savings, then you can have the house like the neighbor, and then you're really going to be on easy street. And we go, yeah, that's true. I do think life will be a little bit easier. I will have fools. I will have freedom. If only I could get. If only, if only, if only, then I will be. They have an appearance of wisdom. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In the end, the very things we cling to outside of Christ, thinking they will bring fullness, life, and freedom, will eventually get exposed as weak and insufficient in doing what we thought they would do. All other ways seem so wise. They appear to be the answer. But according to Paul, the mature faith that grows in killing sin only comes about when our minds are captivated with Christ, producing heart affections that are satisfied in Christ. This is why Paul calls you and I to have minds and hearts captivated by Jesus Christ alone because this is God's ordained way of seeing you and I mature in Christ and fight our sin. That is just how God has ordered it. It is not meant to happen by any other way. So when that particular temptation comes your way, Right? This is where you whip out that sentence and go, okay, heart, okay, mind, how are we thinking here? 
If only blank, what is, what is my blank? What is that thing that I fill in in that first blank of that sentence? If only this, if only I could have this, then I'll have fullness. So when that particular temptation, that thing that the Holy Spirit is just landing and sticking into your mind right now, when that particular temptation comes your way, promising to you, run after me, I'll give you fullness. Come to me and I will give you life. In me, I will have freedom for you. How do we fight these temptations? We fight these temptations not merely with rules and regulations. Rather, we fight them with new affections. We have to ask, what is happening in that moment of temptation? Isn't it this? That temptation is arguing to your mind, arguing to your heart, lying to you and I, telling you, I am what will make you fool. And at its core, this temptation is attacking what you know to be true about your fullness in Christ and going right for your heart, battling to move your affections away from Christ to whatever that temptation is offering you. That is what's going on. This is the power of sin. This is why Paul always seems to use that idea of deceitful because that sin temptation doesn't come into your ear and go, you know what? I have no life for you here. Strictly deaf. Why don't you come run after me? Never happens that way, does it? It always presents itself like an angel of light. Ah, yes, freedom, fullness, life, come to me. That's why sin is tempting. It promises goods that it can't deliver on. This is the power of sin. Its actions are deceptive, luring us from the truth of the fullness we have in Christ to the place where we believe we will have fullness in something other than Christ. So illustration, how does this work? What does this look like in the face of temptation? There's places we could go in Scripture, but one of them you can go to is Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul is talking about this idea, the way the flesh and the spirit work themselves out. Okay, And what Paul is doing is he's saying this, In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, so that word there, the works of the flesh, is the exact same word we get here in verse 23. These things the Colossian false teachers were saying, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This idea of this sin that still remains, that's to be put to death, this thing that's getting us to desire and run after, run after sin and not run after God, this idea of the flesh. Paul says, let me tell you about some of the works of the flesh. And all we have to do is look at the first one. He says, he starts off this big list. And the first thing he says this is sexual immorality. There's a bunch of them that we could go to. But just because it's first on the list, I'm just picking that one at random. There's no, no beef here. It was just first on the list, and so that's what I'm, that's what I'm picking. That's what I'm choosing. So let's say this idea of sexual immorality is the thing that is the temptation that's dealing with you. The word underneath sexual immorality is the word porneia. It is just a handbag term. I mean, it just meant everything. Um, It meant everything sexually not right according to God's ways. Okay? So, I mean, there's just a whole laundry list of stuff it could mean. Paul says one of the works of the flesh is this, this idea of sexual immorality, a temptation that will lead us away from Jesus Christ. So when we go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, we can ask, what does it look like in the face of temptation when we're being sexually tempted away from Christ? In that moment of temptation, it looks like this. You're standing here at a crossroads. Okay? You've got two options before you. 
On one hand, you see the fullness that you have in Christ, the life and freedom that you have in Christ. Down the other fork of the road, what you have is this, temptation of sexual immorality, Galatians chapter 5, standing there offering itself with the exact same promises. Jesus is over here saying, fullness, life, and freedom. This idea of sexual immorality is standing over here saying, fullness, life, and freedom in me. Come to me. So what do you and I do in that moment when that link on your computer screen is just shouting at you, please click me. Just please do it. Yelling at you that you can have a taste of life and all you have to do is click this link. See, what we do in those moments is we fight the false promises of life with a true knowledge of the life himself, Jesus Christ. See, it's in that moment where we we recognize what it is. I see sexual temptation over here saying, I will give you life, but we recognize what it is. It's a sheep in wolf's clothing. He's promising life, but he's really leading me to death. But in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, I find eternal fullness, eternal life, eternal satisfaction, freedom in him. What it looks like is this. When you're standing at that crossroads, sexual temptation saying, come after me, and Christ standing there with the fullness, life, and freedom that are in him, it looks like preaching to yourself the promises of the fullness you have in Christ. So, I mean, this is incredibly practical, but it sounds like this. You're at the crossroads going, like, I feel my finger moving towards the mouse to click on this thing because I think I'm going to have life by clicking on this. What you do is you start preaching to yourself. Listen, I am free in Christ. There is no freedom to be found in clicking this link. I have life in Christ. There is no life that I am lacking that is to be found by clicking this link. I am truly full in Christ. There is nothing that can be added to my life that I do not already have in full measure in Jesus Christ alone. This thing is a load of baloney. It's a sham. It's a delusion. It can offer me nothing that I don't already have in full measure in Jesus Christ. See, this is exactly what Paul has been driving at since the beginning of his letter. If you go back to Colossians 1.1 and work all the way up to where we are now, Paul over and over and over again keeps saying things like this. I'm writing to you. I've not ceased to pray for you. I'm asking that you may be filled with what? The knowledge of his will. He says, I'm praying that you may grow in wisdom and understanding that come from the Spirit. I want you to reach all the riches of full assurance, what? That come from understanding Christ. I want you to increase in what? The knowledge of God. I want you to know that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. So why on earth does Paul keep banging the drum of know Christ, know God, grow in wisdom, grow in understanding, know it's rooted in Jesus Christ alone, in Him, nowhere else? Because it is by a knowledge of Christ that we come to be captivated with Christ in our heart, and it is here that we find the power to stop the indulgence of the flesh and grow with a growth that is from God, finding nourishment as we are rooted and built up in Him. 
It is only when we increase in the knowledge of God that this knowledge stirs up new passions of the heart to where we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. It is for this reason that Paul goes about warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. See, Paul doesn't come around and give counseling sessions on how we need to address our feelings. Paul says, this is what my whole ministry is about. I'm warning and I'm teaching. I'm seeking to inform you in the mind so that the mind will affect the heart and lead to the place, what? Where the church matures, grows in Christ, deriving its sole source of nourishment from Christ growing with the growth that is from God. This is why Paul proclaims Jesus Christ, so that he may present everyone mature in Christ. So yes, see to it that your minds and hearts are captivated by Christ. Why? For this is the means by which a believer matures in Christ and fights sin. Next week, we're going to see something very, very good. Because even though I've just said all of that, the how-to practicalities of that, Paul hasn't quite gotten to yet. And next week, he's going to sit down and go, this is what it looks like. He's going to say, seek the things that are above, set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Did you hear what he said? Set your mind. Why does he want you to set your mind on the things that are above where Christ is? So mind affects this, so then we can go out living in a way that brings glory to Jesus Christ. He's going to get very practical over the next several weeks, because then he's going to start talking about, okay, if this is true, this is how we put to death what is still earthly in us. This is how we put on Christ. This is what it means for wives. This is what it means for husbands. This is what it means for children. This is what it means for fathers. This is what it means for workers. This is what it means for bosses. This is what it means to live in the world. He's just going to get incredibly practical. If this is true, that minds captivated by Christ informing hearts that are in love, aflamed with new passions, this is what it looks like for you, Dad. This is what it looks like for you, boss. This is what it looks like for you, employee, for you, mom, for you, children, etc., etc., down, down the road we go. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the way that you have ordered our, our means of growth. Thank you for the way that you have ordered for us to be able to mature in Christ, to grow in a way that is honoring to Christ. Thank you for the means by which you've given to us to be able to fight sin, which is be in love with Jesus. Be captivated by Christ. He is supreme. He is so worthy. He is so worthwhile. He is able to be that epicenter of our faith where we are captivated by Him in heart and in mind so that way we will go forth living in a manner that is fully pleasing to Him, being a gospel witness to Springfield and to our neighbors and to our co-workers and to the world. God, would you move in us, expose in our hearts the areas of our life where we where we are captivated by things other than Jesus. Would this be a time of repentance, Father, to where if we are easily ensnared, easily captivated by things that are just puny and Christless, that, Holy Spirit, you would expose those in our hearts and we 
during this time would respond in a way to where we repent and we are just come in humility and honesty saying, God, I am easily captivated. I'm easily ensnared by things that are just not Jesus. God, I pray this would be a time where we come with a moment of honesty and you, God, would come in power and you would work on our hearts in such a way, exposing those dark corners of our lives where we secretly cling to things not of Jesus. And that, Father, you would move us right to Jesus. This isn't a time of condemnation, but this is a time where we come and taste and see that the Lord is good, that he's doing this exposing work in my life and in your life, not as an act of condemnation, but as an act of extreme love, exposing in our hearts, exposing in our minds those areas that are not aligned with Christ, not so that we can walk away guilty and condemned and ashamed and feeling foul and feeling disqualified and judged, but so that we can lay that down, confess before God, it is true, my heart has been easily captivated by things not of Jesus. And so that we can then in turn run straight to Christ, knowing that in Christ we will find grace, knowing that in Christ we'll find mercy, knowing that in Christ we will find everything that we need because we have fled to Christ himself. Jesus, do that work in our hearts. And in Christ's name I pray, amen.